Hey guys, Jawad here with Hit The Apex Podcast. How are we doing this week? Thank you for tuning in and boy, what a week it's been. What a week it's been. And you know what? For the first time in, I don't even know how long it's been now since um, since the Australian Grand Prix and since the coronavirus and all that basically took over our news and lives and everything, but it felt for the first time in a long time, like a normal week, and with huge news coming out. Um, if you read my tweet last night on the Hit the Apex page, I said, yeah, I get the feeling we're going to get some driver news um, Thursday night, so I refrained from doing the podcast um, on Thursday, said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow, which is today, which is Friday. Happy Friday, everyone. Um and yeah, this was basically kicked off earlier in the week when it was announced by Ferrari that they will be going their separate ways from Sebastian Vettel, announcing the end of a six-year partnership. Um, it was kind of when, if, uh, you know, it was a matter of when, not if it was going to happen. Now, I apologise too if you hear some power tools in the background. There's some uh, technicians working outside on some other units. So, yeah, it's not as bad as it was this morning. Got a bit of a rude wake-up call. But, um, yeah, it's uh, if you hear that, apologies for that. But a lot to talk about, of course, with the Vettel separation from Ferrari. Of course, who replaced him as well. They've already made that announcement. Carlos Sainz. Um, moving from McLaren to Ferrari on a two-year deal. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo was part of this as well with McLaren quickly um, moving in to confirm that he'll be stepping in for Carlos Sainz from 2021. So he's leaving Renault. And then I guess, you know, the everything up in the air about, you know, Sebastian Vettel's future, where he's going to go, whether he'll retire and everything. So talk a bit about that too on this week's podcast and of course you know Ferrari and where their biggest problem kind of lies because I don't think it is to do with the drivers so without further ado (laughs) kicking it off and um yeah big big I think the timing was the shock you know it wasn't more so oh yeah he's uh he's out but it was more so the timing because given that we actually haven't had a race yet in 2020 um you would have thought that maybe there was going to be a few races before we decide uh, who's going to be where for the next season, 2021. Remember, 21 is going to be basically a continuation of 2020. So with the rules now, the big rule change being shifted back to 22 um, and 21 basically just, you know, to the point where they're actually going to freeze or they're talking about freezing um, development of the current cars just as a cost-saving exercise. So I guess the story with Vettel um, and Ferrari, both parties were unable to agree terms for an extension for just 21. So apparently there was only a one-year extension on the table for Sebastian Vettel. Um, there was also, you know, a role for him as well, given that um, the team have now pretty much committed to Charles Leclerc, and you kind of knew back in, I think, was it January when they, or sometime in the pre-season when they announced that they had extended Charles Leclerc into the 2024 season, till the end of 2024, locked him in till then, um, a long-term deal, and, you know, you, I guess the big thing about this was, 
Ferrari never go for like for a rookie driver or well he wasn't a rookie Leclerc he was going into his second season but a driver as young as Leclerc 21 years old haven't seen them do anything like that before so it was a big step for them last year to to get Leclerc into the team one couple of races he had so many pole positions he was quick he finished ahead of his teammate in the championship too which was you know probably a big crucial part of this decision as well to to offer an an extension to Seb and say, look, you know, this is what we, um, this is what we want to do. Do you want to buy into it or not? If not, then we can go our separate ways. And of course, with that, there would have been less um, cash on the table too. But from the statement issued by Sebastian Vettel or the joint statement with Ferrari, um, Seb indicated that um, money had no part in his um, decision. So. Yeah, and here's a quote from that too. Um, it's vital for all parties to work in perfect harmony. Um, and he talked about how in this time um, away from racing or given the, the suspension and play that we've got at the moment that he's had the chance to reflect on um, our real, real priorities and um, something about using imagination to adopt a new approach. So whether he's hinting at what he's going to do in the future... Um, which is a big talking point now, given that we've got uh, Ricardo confirmed for McLaren and Sainz um, confirmed as Vettel's replacement at Ferrari. Um, Sebastian Vettel's a big name on the market, so and where where does he go? There's uh, going to be some talk about that a bit later, but um, you know retirement could be a possibility as well. So with that, let's look back at what Seb has achieved for Ferrari, of course. You know, he was brought into the team in 2015 um, with the promise that he would lead a revival for the team who have not won a championship since 2007. It's been more than a decade now. Yes, I like to remind everyone about that. I know we, uh, in the past, have done quite a bit of Ferrari bashing and Sebastian Vettel bashing, but I think it's important um, to proportion the blame equally amongst Vettel and Ferrari I know Vettel has made a lot of mistakes and I've got like a little rap sheet you know it's almost like a career criminals rap sheet this but um, go back to 2017 Baku the little incident with Lewis Hamilton then Singapore as well you know race which they should have won and it was a key race for the championship because it kind of swung the momentum towards Lewis Hamilton, Japan as well, DNF there, then you fast forward to 2018, looking really good again in the first half of the season, but then we get to the German Grand Prix, he's in a winning position, he had the race pretty much sewn up, and then, boom, into the wall in the stadium section, and that was the win gone, and championship gone too, so I think you know, key moments like that, then Monza as well, getting involved with Lewis Hamilton, um, and spinning of his own accord, Japan with Max Verstappen as well, and it's important in all these incidents, it's been Seb that's been the one to blame, it hasn't been because of another driver or anything, then 2019 of course, a bit more difficult given that Ferrari weren't really in championship contention, um, but, you know, opportunity to win a race in Canada was all sewn up until the end where he went off the track and almost put Lewis Hamilton in the wall. Contentious, I know, still you could argue about that, whether it was just or not. But at the end of the day, the penalty was given and, you know, it can be argued that he should have tried it 
different approach there you know i mean i'd have to go back and review all that and do a whole nother podcast talking about canada 2019 but it was just one of those moments where you know he put himself into that position so you know it's how you react to it is um what's going to go down in history and unfortunately for him it was not the right way but of course Ferrari with their own problems as well you know which I'll talk about as well a bit later so as well you look at the arrival of Leclerc uh, Leclerc in 2019 displaces his position um, within the team like Daniel Ricciardo did back in 2014 when Ricciardo arrived at Red Bull but Let's have a look at the stats and see, you know, how, I guess, good his his tenure was at Ferrari, even though you could probably remember it as a failure. Um, 14 wins, 12 pole positions, 54 podiums across the six years. Finished runner-up twice in the championship in 2017 and 18. But I guess it's kind of, you know, flattering when you look at that but then look at how those championships ended where you know the first half of the season he was very much neck and neck with Lewis Hamilton and he was in the lead as well for some time but then when it comes to the second half it kind of just just fell away you know just sudden drop and then it didn't even go down to the wire the championship race in those particular seasons it just Hamilton was able to wrap him up I think um 17 he it was in Mexico 18 as well in Mexico or Austin around that time so with a couple of races still in hand so it just yeah you know they we criticized them a lot back then about you know not being able to put together two halves of a season because you know 20 race season 19 race season they gotta go for the whole um make sure they're consistent all the way throughout and then yeah obviously Seb's mistakes kind of contributed to it but as I say not you know the ultimate um, reason of their downfall so why will it be remembered as a failure well obviously because they didn't win any championships but Seb went to Ferrari with huge expectations on him you know he was already a four-time world champion and that's I think something that a lot of people forget when they do come out and bash him that he is you know one of only five drivers in Formula One who have won more than four championships or four or more championships so he's got four championships Um, he's always throughout his career been likened to Michael Schumacher seven world championships of course um, a great mentor to Vettel as well back in the day and you know good to see them actually race together back you know between 2010 and 2012 when Schumacher was at Mercedes but ultimately he was unable to emulate his idol and of course even lead the revival um, of Ferrari you know they had their own issues throughout their years um, and it just kind of came away to nothing and it's it's kind of sad because Ferrari now have gone through two multiple world champions. You know, of course, Fernando Alonso back in the early part of the previous decade. And, you know, now Sebastian Vettel, four-time world champion, has gone through and was unable to to do what Kimi Raikkonen did back in 2007, win a championship. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess it's, pretty sad that it's had to end on that note you know you thought all the acrimony and the the bitterness with the Alonso departure was bad but I guess you know it's 
I guess this is not bitter, but just kind of sad that we didn't get to see that fairy tale come to fruition with you know German driver driving a Ferrari, um, emulating what his idol did back in the early two thousands and winning all those championships. So, yeah, let's talk about now who replaced him. And I think there were more people perhaps licking their lips and um, very eager after the announcement that Vettel was leaving Ferrari over who would be the replacement because, of course, Ferrari is, you know, the Ferrari seat is one of the coveted drives on the grid in Formula 1, no matter where Ferrari are, if they're, you know, winning championships or um, not, as they have been in the last, you know, more than a decade now. So, basically, you know, every driver and his dog would have been on the phone to Mattia Bonotto trying to suss out or, you know, um, the managers of the drivers trying to suss out what's going on. But we had Daniel Ricciardo initially the front runner um, and that ultimately, you know, within 12 hours kind of just dissipated and wasn't going to happen and it was Carlos Sainz that emerged as the the favorite to take the seat and indeed it was revealed though it was Daniel Ricciardo announced by McLaren first um, and a little goodbye note for Carlos Sainz and that pretty much confirmed that Sainz would be confirmed by Ferrari which it was not too long later last night or Thursday morning in in Europe so two-year deal for Carlos Sainz um, at Ferrari of course um, confirming that they're going to have the youngest driver lineup in in 50 years Um, the case for Sainz you know I mean I didn't really like because I'm a secret McLaren fan, well, there's no secret about that, <laughs> have been for many, many years now, you know, I kind of didn't want Carlos to go because, you know, I felt that he was nestled down at McLaren, he had increased involvement as well, you know, with the development of this year's car, the MCL 35, as did Lando Norris too, so you could feel that they were building towards something, but I guess when Ferrari dangled the carrot, anyone's got to come and take it, you know, so unless your name's Lewis Hamilton and um, even Ayrton Senna, I think, or I don't even know if Ferrari ever offered Senna a deal. I'd have to go back through the uh, history books to to find that one out. But, you know, science apparently had been on Ferrari's radar for some time and a lot of people will say that, yeah, you know, basically they just want a... Um, a compliant number two driver to to go next to Leclerc because he is their prospect but there's more more of a case for um, science than there is say for a Ricardo like Ricardo obviously a lot older at the moment five years difference between he and science um, you could say maybe Ricardo's going into the prime of his career so he might be more desperate to win a world championship where science at 25 probably not but you know will still be able to be fast, consistent, you know, do what he's been doing. And it's important to say as well, and I wrote this in the article I wrote last night um, for The Raw, that science has been kind of F1's quiet achiever. You know, when he debuted back in 2015 um, at Toro Rosso, he debuted alongside Max Verstappen. And naturally, all the attention was around Verstappen, of course, and, you know, the eyes were all on him, you know, other teams trying to see if they could snap him up, but of course Red Bull got in, and then when Red Bull saw the opportunity, 
um, not even a year later to promote him, or sorry, just over a year later to put him in the the top team, the Red Bull Racing team, they didn't hesitate, you know, obviously with the um, demotion of Danny Kvyat. So it showed that Red Bull had firmly placed their eggs into the Verstappen basket, but I guess science didn't take this too to heart you know a lot of drivers that have been talked about as being they've had their careers ended by the Red Bull program and everything but science you know was kind of the quiet achiever did what he needed to do um, he was you know often on the same pace and you know in terms of qualifying and everything with Verstappen as well just you know microseconds basically separating them and but you know Verstappen's got the more flamboyant racecraft where science is very you know let's say a lot more composed but that being said he's always brought home the results so you know he's always been able to take a car that's not as good to some good results and you know we saw with Toro Rosso 2016 um, in Brazil, was able to, in the wet conditions, go over to sixth. Some good results too um, when he was at Renault, of course, because he did spend that year or year and a f- couple of months at Renault before there he was um, hoping to continue. But then Renault kind of swooped in on Daniel Ricciardo and left Carlos Sainz um, hanging in the lurch, and then basically at the 11th hour was able to sign a, a deal with McLaren for 2019. So, you know, it's funny how these two, they've um, they've had their paths cross <laughs> in their careers a couple of times now, and I'm sure, you know, we're going to see that in the Netflix, um, the season, uh, season three of the Netflix show, Drive to Survive, because there was a little episode on them um, for season two with both of them at their new teams after what happened the year before in 2018 so he's he's a no-nonsensical guy he's clean cut he's professional as well he's got that image I'm sure that Ferrari will really um, appreciate of course you know the marketability around him you know being the son of rallying legend Carlos Sainz as well even though Science Jr. is basically his own person you know he's established his own identity and his own reputation so I really look forward to seeing signs in a Ferrari, even though I will never wear anything with the Ferrari logo on it. <laughs> um, I will really look forward to seeing him. And, you know, it would be sad if they just relegate him to a number two role alongside Leclerc, but I think there can be some healthy competition there between the two. So that'll be good. Um, Ricardo to McLaren, I guess, Ricardo's problem with Renault was that you know Renault promised him when he came there that they would be closing the gap to the big the big teams which in 2019 they didn't do they went backwards there's no sugarcoating that and I don't get why Renault are salty about this you know they came out and Cyril Abitable um, in the statement didn't even wish Ricardo best of luck for the future and instead talked about how you know commitment and that sort of stuff is meant to be unwavering but it just, yeah, you know, it's, I don't really see anything positive about Renault at the moment, it's it's kind of sad, you know, given this team, or the Enstone team in particular, who I always have a soft spot with, uh, soft spot for, have been through the ringer the last few years, you know, since basically uh, Lotus went bust, and they were bleeding money, and uh, Renault 
decided they're going to come back in as a works team and take over the Endstone base and then it took them a few years to get that back up and running and upgrade all the facilities and now we're living in this um, you know world that's been dominated by a pandemic where businesses and manufacturers and all that are in a bit of a financial crisis and there's talk about Renault potentially even assessing their options and look at quitting Formula One so it's kind of yeah you know from a career point of view Ricardo some people will say oh he's just made a sidestep but there is a good case for McLaren moving um, into the future and that's why you know I was looking forward to the combination of Norris and Sainz together because next year 2021 they're going to get the Mercedes engine um, who knows how that's going to work if there's going to be a freeze on chassis development from this year um, and then 22 when the new rules come in there's going to be the cost cap as well on performance so limit to 145 US million dollars a year which for a team like McLaren is a perfect opportunity to kind of level the playing field and um, make sure that they can catch up to the likes of Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull so the case for McLaren has been there since since last year and I thought well they're going to stay um, stay committed to, to Science and Norris or the, those drivers are going to stay committed to the team but the case for Ricardo is that he's going to have a better opportunity with McLaren to win races um, if not being a championship contender by 2022 um, than he was going to be with Renault. Renault it just seems they're talking about commitment and all that sort of stuff you know and not being committed to the team but their long-term future or even short to mid-term future seems unlikely um, or seems very clouded so it's kind of a bit rich from from Renault to have those kind of comments but again I guess Renault are the salty type you know my like I kind of dislike them more every day you know when I when I see this sort of stuff so which is which is sad because you know I've always been an Enstone fan you know with Lotus and then even Renault with Alonso back in the day but yeah you know it's it's all up to Renault and their commitment to the sport whether they're going to stay so good good move if you ask me Ricardo to McLaren joining Lando Norris um, two of the biggest trolls in the F1 paddock I mean that's going to be you know, imagine all the media conferences and everything with both those guys. It's going to leave you in stitches every time. <laughs> and um, just the direction in which the team is going at the moment too. I mean, I can't, not because I'm a, a fan or anything, but, not well, not because I'm a big fan of them, but just the way that they've been able to lead this revival, you know, with Zach Brown basically clearing house and starting from scratch, you know, different management style to Ron Dennis and all the people have gone past and they've got James Key now as their technical director um, and you know car maker that just sounds very kindergarten <laughs> um, as their you know technical chief Andreas Stella stepped up as well in his role there Andreas Seidel of course having come over and his impact on the team last year was evident and you know, he is going to continue leading them forward. So it's looking really good for them at the moment. And of course, getting Mercedes power back on board, which, you know, people have said under the current rules, it's going to be hard for them to beat the factory Mercedes team in a championship, you know, given that the factory or the works team wins all the time. But when 
we get an equal playing field in 2022 um, with the rules, you know, kind of resetting everything, then we'll see. Or, if you believe the rumours, Mercedes might pull out and McLaren might be the factory Mercedes team once again. But anyway, I'm not reading too much into that. I know Eddie Jordan, everyone says that he's usually right with everything he um, predicts and everything. But yeah, I'm not going to read too much into that at the moment um, unless it kind of gains a bit more traction. I mean, they've been talking about pulling out of the sport since last year, you know, so... I know the pandemic kind of changes everything and everyone's priorities change as a result of this, but yeah, I'm not reading into it until it actually um, starts gaining traction. But good moves ultimately, science, good partner for Leclerc. It's going to be exciting seeing two young drivers at Ferrari as well. Um, and then McLaren, of course, with Ricardo and Norris. And it's hard to think that we still we haven't actually turned a wheel yet in 2020, you know, not even a practice session um, yeah, you know, we're more looking forward to 2021 now when um, we see these guys at their new teams. And if it is going to be, you know, without Sebastian Vettel, of course, it's going to be a bit um, a bit of a hollow moment because, you know, you're losing a world champion off your grid. So that's that. Um, silly season has been triggered. you got names like Valtteri Bottas on the table, Nico Hülkenberg, Antonio Giovinazzi, who, let's be honest, wasn't going to be ready for Ferrari next year, no matter what, you know, even if he's going to be the foil for uh, Leclerc, you need someone who's going to be fast as well, because the Constructors' Championship is quite important too, and that's something that Ferrari haven't won either for more than a decade, and can we really just stop talking about Fernando Alonso? I mean, I like the guy, but it seems that any time that there's something going on, you know, silly season-wise in F1, his name is mentioned, and now he's been linked to the drive at Renault, or before it was like, oh, he might go back to Ferrari. Yena, sorry, that's not going to happen after all the bridges he burnt there, and potentially go back to Renault? Why? If Ricardo thought Renault weren't going to be good enough to to win races with, then why would Alonso? He must be mad. And that's the reason potentially Sebastian Vettel might not go to Renault either. It might be seen as a backwards move. You know, he's 32, he's still young, but he's got a family, he's got a wife, he's got kids as well. That could be an option for him to step away and retire, you know, sit by the beach and watch the sunset with his kids. Um, but yeah, the option for Renault is there, is open there. He's got a prior relationship, of course, when you know he was winning championships with Renault Power at Red Bull. Um, bit of a left field choice, you know. They're talking about you know potentially Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton um, be partner to him, but again, that's that's very left field given that you know Hamilton has often publicly said that he prefers working with Valtteri Bottas and everything, and that was kind of key in keeping Bottas there for this year, because um, Bottas has only been get, getting one-year deals ever since he came to Mercedes in 2017, so I guess if it wasn't for Hamilton um, by his side, they might have replaced him with someone like a knock-on, um, and then of course, you know, you got George Russell in the mix as well, um, going into the future, so I guess... I'm going to play it safe and say, as long as Hamilton's at Mercedes, um, and he might not be for much longer, you know, I mean, he's talked about what life outside of Formula One will be for him too, he's got other things he wants to do, 
And of course, he's one championship away from equaling Michael Schumacher's record as well. So it might not be until Lewis Hamilton moves on from Mercedes that we see them completely change their lineup. So while Hamilton's there, let's safely say that Bottas gets to keep his seat too. Not that Bottas doesn't deserve a seat, of course. I'm a big fan of Bottas as well. I think he's done a superb job given the the circumstances. Um, and it's kind of a shame not to see him, you know, having been a championship contender or won a championship just yet. Like, go back to 2014 when he and Ricardo had breakout seasons for, for Williams and Red Bull. Um, I was like, these two are going to be world champions, but it's almost like we've skipped a generation now, we've skipped over them, I mean, they've still got time, they've still got time, they're only, you know, in their 30s, early 30s, but, you know, with Verstappen now at Red Bull, and lockdown at Red Bull, Ferrari committing to Leclerc, and of course, bringing Carlos Sainz into the fold as well, um, and then Mercedes with their own juniors, if they're going to, you know, hang around, um, you can firmly see that the next world champion is going to be one of these young guys, you know, um, and that just, sh- it's, it's a positive thing, of course, moving into another generation for Formula One, but, you know, it's kind of sad that it kind of skipped a generation where, you know, you guys like, you know, Sergio Perez, who's been great, he's basically midfield, you know, king of the midfield now, you know, Daniel Ricciardo, Nico Hulkenberg as well, who didn't even get a podium while he was racing, you know, he could potentially come back, Renault could grovel to him after um, they kicked him out at the end of last year for, for Ocon, um, and then of course Bottas, these guys are kind of going to maybe finish their careers without a championship, but of course there's still time, you know, and Ricardo to McLaren could be a step closer for him there instead of a step to the side so I don't know it's it's tough and we might have to wait now a little bit until I mean we might even wait till racing resumes to to find out what um Sebastian Vettel's future is going to be um some people have tossed around Aston Martin possibly you know given that Aston Martin will do a takeover of Racing Point for 2021, but you would have thought, given that Lawrence Stroll owns the team, he's going to keep his son there, Lance, and then um, Sergio Perez, who's been with the team for for a long time, since 2014, um, and he's signed a, a multi-year extension as well recently, given that he's got, you know, wealthy partners and investors that um, bring a lot of money to the team, that they would keep their lineup the same so it's you know stranger things have happened so it's going to be um very interesting to see how all the other pieces fall into the silly season puzzle um but yeah i guess the thing that kind of you got to look at as well as i mentioned before is the impact of this financial crisis that is uh affecting everyone all over the world in whatever industry you're in and whether Renault and the other OEMs, the original engine manufacturers, you know, are they going to stay committed to Formula One or are they going to look at their options? Because it's one thing that, yeah, they've got a cost cap coming in and everything, but there are some who still pretty, what do you call it, against it. Let's say Ferrari, for example, who are now talking about, you know, given the fact that 
introducing a cost cap means they're going to have to, you know, limit staff as well. Um, and they're talking about potentially going over to somewhere like IndyCar or sports car racing to be able to redistribute the staff that would have to lose their jobs in Formula One as a result of the cost cap. So that's not saying Ferrari is going to quit Formula One because of the cost cap. It just means that money that they are now saving, um, they're going to redistribute that towards an IndyCar program or a um, sports car program. So at least the staff that work currently that will longer no longer be required as a result of the cost cap can go elsewhere in Ferrari and still at least have a job with Ferrari doing other things. So that'd be kind of exciting to see them in IndyCar, um, third um, engine manufacturer in IndyCar, you know, alongside the Chevrolet and Honda, and of course sports car as well, given that we've got, you know, this new convergence between IMSA and the WEC um, and a few manufacturers kind of interested now, given that it's going to be a lot cheaper for them to race with these convergence rules instead of going out and building a bespoke hypercar um, or homologating a hypercar there. So that's a conversation for another time, but it would be exciting to see Ferrari do that. So what now for Seb? Who knows? It's it's up in the air, but you know retirement is firmly an option. And I guess one thing that no one's really talked about um, in these reports and in these discussions is that what of Kimi Raikkonen too, you know, he only signed a two-year deal with Alfa Romeo when he um, got the boot from Ferrari a couple of years back, and that two-year deal runs out at the end of the year. What if Kimi Raikkonen retires and paves the way for Sebastian Vettel to go go um, out to pasture at Alfa Romeo? That's, that's a potential too, so there's still a lot of opportunity, but again, for Seb, it's going to be a big step back wherever he goes, unless a new team decides to pop up on the grid and, you know, suddenly is on the ball straight away. So, yeah, very difficult to say at the moment, but it's been a lot to digest this week, um, what we've seen, you know, and as I said, it's like the first dose of dose of normality that we've had um in motorsport news for a while because everything has been due to due to the pandemic or due to COVID-19 yeah it's it it seems normal even though it's it's been a bit of a full-on week so now going back to what I was saying before about Ferrari and perhaps their biggest problem lies beyond the drivers you know and there is a fair case for this too, given the fact that it's been a decade since they've, or more than a decade since they've won a championship. But then you look at all the drivers that have come and gone in that time, chiefly being Fernando Alonso, two-time champion who came close to winning the title twice for Ferrari but failed to get it done. Um, and of course, Sebastian Vettel's tenure now where, you know, there was a couple of opportunities. But again, it's, you know reasons on the team side, driver side, and I want to highlight the things on the team side. So with Alonso, we've talked about that, you know, to death, basically. 2012 could have been a much better season if they had a better car. Um, So that was basically all Alonso's efforts in 2012 to be able to win there. 2010, you know, obviously that um, came down to them making a poor strategy, strategy call, um, which is something that we've seen quite a bit of in um, Sebastian Vettel's tenure there at Ferrari too. 
countless, countless strategic blunders. But it's the internal stability has kind of never been there. You know, it's a team that run highly on emotion. You know, it's you've got to be very passionate about the brand and about Ferrari and everything. And sometimes that emotion, I guess, kind of is the the weakness for them as well. You know, so you you wouldn't see that at Mercedes. Um, or even Red Bull when they were dominating, they were very clinical about um, how they went about things, and you very rarely saw them make these kind of on-track mistakes, you know, strategic errors and wrong development choices, as we saw with Ferrari in 18 and 19, you know, in 19 they were kind of fastest in testing, you know, they were showboating, and like, oh yeah, we're going to have the best season ever, and then we get to the first race and they don't even, um, well, they finish 30 seconds behind the, the race winner, Bottas. Um, and, you know, we had a Honda-powered Red Bull on the podium ahead of um, Ferrari, who finished like fourth and fifth and kind of way back in uh, somewhere in St Kilda. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the internal stability, I think, is something you got to really question of Ferrari, with Ferrari. You know, they lost... James Allison in 2016, of course, he, you know, with um, personal issues that he had to deal with and to move back to the UK, um, the death of Sergio Marchionne, who was the president of Ferrari as well, was a um, significant, um, <laughs> a significant moment in there in this timeline too, given that he was committed to getting this racing team back to where it was and to, to be winning championships. He kind of, you know, ruled with an iron fist and said, you know, look, you know, if you're not if you can't win then there's no point us doing this kind of thing. So there's that. Then, you know, while you had Maurizio Arrivabeni, the previous team principal come in in two thousand fifteen with Seb, um, and basically kind of the the leader for this revival um, and all things were going well there was a bit of a revolt against him in 2018 where you know it saw him lose his position within the team it saw Mattia Benotto promoted in 2019 but what did that achieve really you know you could say I guess you know once you're done with Ferrari you're done you know you can't there's no coming back and everything and everyone's kind of partial to one side or the other so that's the kind of things that they've got to iron out for the future um you know yeah we got science we got Leclerc we got an exciting young driver lineup but the onus will be on the team to be able to execute as well because I've waxed lyrical about Mercedes for the last few years about how they've been able to get the job done especially the last few years you know where you know Ferrari were in the thick of the championship battle they had the better car at that time but it was Mercedes consistency and their ability to not make mistakes and you know that helps with their drivers as well being you know Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas being consistent being you know able to not make mistakes but also the calls on the pit wall as well, strategy and everything. That's something that Ferrari really need to make sure they hit the nail on the head. Otherwise, you know, we've basically doomed Carlos Sainz's career with Ferrari. You know, or Leclerc is going to be stuck there for years and he'll lose his hair before he, he wins a championship with Ferrari. So at the moment... We're in the second longest drought in the team's history, or second longest title drought. You know, of course, the longest um, title drought was between 1979 and 2000, you know, between Jody Schechter winning 
um, in 79, and then Michael Schumacher's first driver's title for the team in 2000. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people out there who do not want to see it get to 21 years before we win another, or before Ferrari win another championship. I don't want to see it get to that long either. I'm sure a lot of just fans of the sport in general don't want to see that because Ferrari is this team that has been around since day dot and has been a big part of Formula One's history that it's important for them to win and especially given their commitment you know and they're the team that's opposed to cost cap as well you know the cost cap's going to be good for everyone but for a team that's opposed to to the cost cap and you know pro spending and you know blank check on everything despite all that and despite their investment they they haven't really achieved anything you know so you kind of have to have those results and those achievements to justify all this spending otherwise it's kind of just a fruitless exercise um, and it's a big waste of money and given that we we love sustainability and everything Ferrari have kind of have to go down that route so who knows you know maybe 2022 perfect opportunity with the resetting of the rules for them to to rethink their approach you know you could totally take advantage of this cost cap and you know figure out where they can deploy their resources where best can they get the advantage because as i said last week even though we're going to limit the cost it doesn't mean you can limit innovation you know innovation is something you know obviously because formula one's the pinnacle innovation is something that could be something as simple as making your dollars go further you know and that's where you know you look at teams like racing point and for or when they were for cindy previously that on a such a meager budget they were able to you know exceed the the dollar poor point or points per dollar that they were scoring you know they were doing so well and mclaren as well the direction it seems like they're going in is that they want this cost cap so they can maximize how much you know the the amount that they're allowed to spend in being able to to catch the top team so ferrari i think just need to take a good hard look at themselves and hopefully they are in this time where there's no racing about how they rethink rethink their approach and obviously cleaning house with vettel um and starting afresh hopefully with two young drivers two new drivers um, well, Leclerc's not new, they're able to start again and hit this new regulation era on the head and come out strong because that's the only way for them to survive, you know, in a climate where it's becoming more and more difficult for, for road car makers and manufacturers to, to keep spending the money that they do. And of course, you know, Renault potentially the first on the chopping block if this financial crisis worsens um and yeah just for the history and the passion for ferrari you know it's it's important for them to win but winning might mean rethinking their approach on how they do things and possibly going down a new a new avenue so i wanted to get that off my chest because of all the bashing that's been going on about seb um it's not his fault that he didn't win championships completely yes he made a lot of mistakes and you know there was some championship defining mistakes in that as well but like with Alonso if he had the car and if he had the team with him all the way 
it would have been easier to hide those mistakes and to be able to still win. You know, when Vettel made mistakes at Red Bull, um, he still was able to win the championship because they had the best car. And ultimately, without the best car, you know, it's kind of half the or 50% of the um, puzzle to be able to win the championship. So, yeah, you know, you're not going to just give him push bikes and say, oh, yeah, there you go, go win the championship with that. You need to have the car there. You've got to have the team there too. Want to see less errors in the pit stop and everything. So, yeah, that's that. Otherwise, basically, they're doomed for not winning a championship at all. And as I said, Carlos Sainz is going to lose his... Oh, sorry, Leclerc's going to lose his hair. Sainz is, you know... I don't know what Sainz is going to do, but yeah, there you go. It's not going to be good if they don't um, change things internally to be able to become like... Or don't become like Mercedes, but just adopt that same principle, you know, about being clinical and making sure that you're consistent and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's that. That's that. And quickly, while we're still talking about Ferrari and stuff, happy birthday to Formula One. So, on the 13th of May, 1950, we had the first ever Formula One Grand Prix British Grand Prix at Silverstone, of course, and Ferrari were there, um, a part of it, so, you know, 70 years on, uh, it was going to be a big, big celebrations this year, I guess, or there still will be, um, with, uh, Formula One, when it does get restarted, about celebrating the history, and it's been good that, to see that, um, you know, YouTube channel, and social media, and everything, they're replaying these old races, and, stuff like that, you know, just highlighting bits of, um, bits of the sport's illustrious history, so, you know, happy birthday, it's, uh, May the 13th, I think, what's the next Grand Prix, Monaco, on the calendar, we would have been heading to, um, now we had the, the Dutch Grand Prix, and the, um, Spanish Grand Prix, so, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> as I said last time, I kind of, the calendar in my mind has just completely disappeared, because, you know, we haven't done any live blogging, we haven't done any reporting on, on races and done reviews and stuff like that, but, you know, July 5th is still the hope that we can get everything back up and running and all pending safety and security um, for the teams, the drivers, everyone involved. We just want to make sure that everything's safe before we do start getting racing again. Um, if you guys had any feedback uh, on Ferrari and the decision to go with Carlos Sainz or Ricardo to to McLaren or what what do you think Ferrari's real problem is and um, where will what will happen with Sebastian Vettel? Get in touch on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media. Be happy to answer a few questions if you had any. Um, that would be great. And quickly, I wanted to end this podcast um, as we have been talking the last few podcasts about other other media and stuff so I did make a reference to Tiger King last week that's because I did have the intention to finally watch it over the weekend in which I did pretty unreal of course that's my first reaction had a few laughs it all happened it's all true but ultimately I think the animal cruelty part was kind of upsetting to me it's like so they talk about how you know they much they love these big cats and everything but 
the cruelty aspect involved in it was pretty sad. Um, Joe Exotic, of course, you know, the proclaimed Tiger King, and there he is, you know, shooting tigers, putting them down um, inhumanely. There was a uh, incident involving um, burning down, you know, the a studio which also housed some alligators as well. It's like really, so, you know, what do these alligators do to to be burnt down as part of this little stunt? So, unreal. Had a few laughs, but again, you know, I don't agree with all all those tiger parks and everything um, being kept in captivity. But um, yeah, it was it was funny and all the talk now about you know potentially having a a Hollywood movie or even a, like a, a dramatized Netflix series. Not that you know this was tr- totally not dramatized at all. Um, you know, Nicolas Cage to play Joe Exotic or something like that. That would be that would be quite funny. And while we're talking about comedy, um, had some pretty sad news earlier this week with the passing of actor and comedian Jerry Stiller, who um, passed away at the age of ninety-two. Um, best known, of course, as Frank Costanza from Seinfeld, George's father, um, and yeah, it was like, wow, you know, he was such a great character, they did re- they recast Frank Costanza, of course, because um, being a bit of a Seinfeld freak, as I am, not as much as other people I know, and one of my best friends who actually got me into Seinfeld in the first place, we constantly have, um, like, little, little trivia things, and more often than not, I'm the one learning off him than if I come up with something and um, he doesn't know it. But yeah, no, he he knows so much more about Seinfeld than me. And he was the first one who, ages ago, mentioned that um, Jerry Stiller is Ben Stiller's uh, dad. Which, you know, when we got the news on Monday, that um, or was it Sunday, that uh, Jerry Stiller had passed away, um, a lot of people found out that yeah he was Ben Stiller's dad as well so it was kind of like oh well, I knew that but I wouldn't have known that if it, if my friend hadn't told me kind of thing so it's just trivia like that that kind of um make this sort of stuff fun but yeah you know uh Jerry Stiller was recast as Frank Costanza in season five um up until season the end of season four there was another actor I can't remember who played um George's dad and probably one of the best recasts ever because Jerry Stiller just had this personality as um George's dad and I kind of and it kind of got along really well with um the mum as well Estelle played by Estelle Harris it was just a funny dynamic and you would just hate to be George you know living at home with his parents they so just so funny those situations and um I was watching an episode last night um about where, you know, George is being, um, George is going to go become a bra salesman, and over dinner, you know, with his mum and dad, they're talking about bras and all the um, intricate details about a bra, and they're having an argument about what, you know, the bra's made out of and all that as well, so just moments like that, you've got to go watch on YouTube if you haven't watched Seinfeld before, or if you feel like revisiting some of those 
um, best ofs. You know, he was great with the bloopers as well. Frank Costanza or Jerry Stiller. Um, you want a piece of me? The the fight with Elaine in the um, police station. Some of my favourites was obviously Festivus. Um, there's a Festivus for the rest of us. Um, the airing airing of grievances. I know uh, me and my workmates we no longer do Christmas parties, but we do Festivus instead. We have a celebration for Festivus. We haven't ever brought a metal um, pole and done an airing of grievances before, but we just like the um, the thought of it. And then, of course, uh, Serenity Now as well. Serenity Now! Serenity Now! <laughs> so, yeah, one of the best shows um, ever made, one of the best sitcoms, totally timeless. Here we are in 2020, and you could watch this show from, you know, the... Uh, you know, right throughout the 90s, and it just still has a lot of relevance to today, you know, the dynamic between people and relationships and stuff like that, and, you know, Larry David, a genius, I think, you know, comedic genius with the the way he invented this show, and of course, Jerry Seinfeld's um, input in that too, so there's something for you guys to do over the weekend if you didn't already have any plans, or you you feel like having a bit of a laugh, you know, I know it's been difficult for a lot of people um, the last few months with what's going on with with the COVID business, but um, it's important that we all have a laugh and enjoy some of the more lighter things in life, and Seinfeld is a perfect recipe for that. Or you could go watch the Tiger King if you if you fancy fancy that. But I I would recommend Seinfeld. I think that's it's a lot better. So you can have some good fun with that. Otherwise, there's more I want to talk about, but I kind of you know getting close to the hour mark. You know, 53 minutes we're into this podcast, so I might just um, wait until next week. Because, yeah, what I did want to talk about, obviously, with supercars and stuff. I think next week we're going to actually have a calendar or a revised calendar available. There's been talk about, you know, which rounds are going to miss out and potentially ending the season early next year um, in February where the Bathurst 12-hour normally is. And, of course, that would mean that um, they wouldn't run the 12-hour as it is normally. Um, Instead, it'll be a final round for supercars. (coughs) There you go. I think that's a sign that it's time to to call it a day today. Um, as Seb would say, grazie ragazzi. That's the, the final grazie ragazzi from Seb um, in a Ferrari. Hopefully he's able to win a race or two this year. He's got nothing to lose now um, before he makes his next move. But other than that, thanks for tuning in, guys. As I said, if you've got any feedback about... Um, Whatever all the news that we've had this week, if you want to share your opinion, head over to Twitter at Hit the Apex Media, and um, I'll endeavour to to have some chat with you guys. Otherwise, enjoy your weekends, and I'm sure I will be back next week to talk more. Thank you, and see you later. <laughs>